Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 111. Here's, <laughs> oh boy, here's white people's version of black history. Slavery, ugh, Civil War, Jim Crow, MLK, Black History Month, Barack Obama, hooray! Good job, everyone. Well done. Well done. Mission accomplished. Now let's knock off and hit the bar. <laughs> well, okay. And what about the legacy of redlining and and stop and frisk and Tuskegee and driving while black and I don't know our good friends at the CIA and their dark alliance program and and the school to prison pipeline and how plea bargaining has been weaponized. So these are legitimate grievances. These are legitimate grievances. And then there's Robin D'Angelo. And if you don't know who Robin D'Angelo is, count yourself fortunate. Her book is the number two bestseller on Amazon. Number two. Robin D'Angelo invented the idea of white fragility. <laughs> and white fragility, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful application of Kafka trapping. Here's how I think it works. If you deny your white fragility, that is proof of your white fragility. <laughs> How brilliant is that? There's no way to disagree with that logic if you accept the framework. Now, I think the framework is disingenuous. I mean, here you have a white woman telling white people how to think about racism. Oh, and by the way, buy my book and I charge $15,000 for a two-hour seminar to give you cover from the crime I'm accusing you of. $15,000 for two hours. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Let me get this straight, Robin. You say I have original sin and I need to pay you $15,000 to atone. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. But I think Robin D'Angelo is just the tip of the iceberg. Last week, I joked soon the BLM religion would start selling indulgences for white privilege. And already we're seeing exactly that. Exactly that. Is this whole outpouring of protest, of grief, of anger, of demand for real reform, is it going to get, I don't know, used? Is it going to get co-opted by... By, by these self-promoting opportunists that just want to shake down the establishment and profit off the white guilt that they're creating? It makes sense. White guilt's a growth industry. I mean, look at all the people out there making bank right now, teaching the pseudoscience of implicit bias training. Or how about the people getting hired as vice presidents of diversity and inclusion, jobs that make six-figure salaries plus benefits. These people don't believe in change. They just want to line their pockets. They don't want to dismantle the hierarchy. They just want to climb it. They just want to feed off the thing they claim 
to be against. They believe it's their birthright to be among the elite, and they see this as their best path to that status. And they've weaponized social media. As human beings, we're just not evolved to be able to handle an unending stream of horrors, of horrible things curated from around the globe by these by these algorithms, by these social media algorithms that are just trying to increase anger because that leads to attention, because that leads to money. I mean, heck, they're encouraging the outrage in order to profit off of it. I mean, huh, I need to think about this, but I think Twitter is just like Robin D'Angelo. They both profit off of our negative emotions. They feed on our guilt and our fear and our outrage. And so they encourage those things. They encourage our negative emotions. They are monetizing our negative emotions. I feel like we're living in a social media dictatorship where, where you have user-generated totalitarianism. It looks antiquated now for the state to hire the secret police. We have become our own secret police. We buy our own cameras. We organize our own struggle sessions. We enforce newspeak on our neighbors. Last week, I said maybe doxing children is a terrible, no good idea. This week, I find out that children have started doxing each other. You have children creating Instagram accounts and Snapchat accounts to expose the racist behavior of classmates. And they reveal the child's name, and they reveal the child's contact information, and the doxing is done anonymously. It's crowdsourced totalitarianism. And I think it's because at this moment, we're just vulnerable for any ideology. There's a slot in our brain called the absolute. It's like a place you'd stick a Jenga block. <laughs> and it's where you put the thing that is the foundation of your belief. And when we killed God, that piece came out of our brain. That slot opened up and it left a vacuum in our brain. And vacuums beg to get filled. Please give us something to believe in. We need an absolute. We need a value system so we can make sense of the world. Everyone needs an absolute. Everyone needs a foundation, something to stand on, something that feels solid. Religion makes people do some stupid shit, but eh, it's also a suit of armor against other ideologies that want to fill that Jenga slot in your brain. And the slot in the brain of a Mormon or a Muslim or a Hasidic Jew, it's already full. There's already a piece in the brain. <laughs> Ain't no other crazy idea getting in. But most Americans aren't religious anymore. Not really. I think that piece of their brain has been hollowed out by consumerism and the loss of family and the loss of community and the loss of meaning. We're vulnerable. We're, we're angry and we're fearful and we're restless all at the same time. We're easy pickings for a new faith. We've lost everything in exchange for everything. What do we have? Netflix. <laughs> we have Netflix and debt. Debt. I keep hearing people say this is the richest country in the world, but we're drowning in debt. People say, what, this is the strongest country in the world? But I see so many signs of weakness. Look at how we treat our children. 
We make them weak right from the start. (laughs) We don't let boys run around. We cancel recess. We drug them up with Ritalin. We addict them to sugar. We tell them to always go to a grown-up and never settle a dispute on their own. We tell them not to tussle. We tell them not to fight. We tell them not to play war. We tell them danger is bad. As if danger was something that could be avoided. We kick fathers out of the home. I mean, we devalue masculinity. Heck, it's practically illegal to be masculine these days. We tell men that women are attracted to weakness. What a fucking lie. We tell them that they should be nice and safe and weak and boring. And then women wonder where all the good men are. (laughs) They wonder why they can't find a man that makes them feel safe. They wonder why they have to wear the pants. I mean, ah, it would be hilarious if it wasn't so sad. Anyway, that's all I got this week. I'll catch you later.